Hello, everyone, and welcome to our WISE podcast series. I'm Angela Daly, WISE CEO. Our mission at WISE is financial education and empowerment for females of all ages and all socioeconomic backgrounds. We believe if you manage your money better, you're going to have more opportunities and more options in life. Our podcasts are part of our signature series, Tearing Down the Pink Wall, which gathers the best and the brightest to both educate and inspire all of us to reach our full potential. And today, our podcast is all about inspiration. We welcome Rashma Kapedia, one of the most influential and powerful financial journalists in this country and a member of our Wise Pink Wall Advisory Board. Rashma is an associate editor at Barron's, the publication of Record in Investments. She covers a wide spectrum of investment topics, but today we're going to speak to Rashma about the Barron's annual survey of the 100 most influential women in finance. And by the way, several members of this very prestigious list have participated in our Tearing Down the Pink Wall series. Welcome, Rashma, and thanks for joining us. Let's start from the beginning and get the backstory from you on this list. You must get hundreds, even thousands of nominations. What criteria does Barron's use in making its selection? It's not an easy job that we have gotten. And each year we get more and more nominations. So we rely on both internal and external nominations. Um, and, you know, we're we're sort of focusing on women um, just in the U.S. in positions of leadership who have influence both inside their firms, but also more broadly in the industry. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to cover different corners of the industry. So we've got women from the corporate world, nonprofits, even government. Um, and, you know, we have a team of editors that we work together with. We look through everyone's recommendations and we try to find a diverse mix of people from different corners of the industry to sort Sort of represent the talent that's out there. You know, I think every year we do this, we realize we've just scratched the surface of powerful women out there. Um, and it's always nice when we find women who are sort of using their platforms in interesting ways, um, you know, whether spearheading ways to get more women into the corporate pipeline or bringing awareness to other issues. And so um, it's, you know, it's it's an art, not a science. And, and we get to um, keep uncovering more women each year. And so it's, it's a great joy to go through this. It's very inspirational when you're reading some of these recommendations. Yeah, I can imagine. So has over the last four years, has the list evolved at all or? Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, I mean, we have people who retire and people who move on to different jobs and all that stuff too. But I think, well, you know, it's it's not a ranking. It's really a list. We're really trying to surface, um, you know, and bring to, to light the women that are doing fantastic things in different parts of the industry. And so it has evolved. You know, I think in this last year, I th- we were all just sort of noticing that we have a lot of women who are tied to the government um, in one way or another. You know, we had Leah Khan, who is one of the youngest list members youngest FTC commissioner out there, um, a very uh, polarizing figure to some, but very influential in her role. Um, we had you know, several Fed governors. We have um, a lot of influential economists. And I think that it sort of represents the time that we're in right now, where the government is having a much bigger um, impact on, on markets. Um, we're at inflection points on monetary policy, industrial policy, geopolitics. Um, so that kind of made it sense. So, uh, you know, every year, I think that there is a little bit of an evolution. And, you know, often other women who are on the list recommend other women. And so it's just this mm-hmm. sort of um, this virtuous cycle, and, and we get more and more names in front of us. 
Well, that is really exciting to see that the change and the movement in the list. So one thing that struck me looking at this list was there's quite a number of women CEOs at major firms, I mean, big firms, and also a big number in the powerful positions in the C-suite. So Rashma, is it time to break out the champagne here or do this list of Uber achievers belie a, a lack of progress? Well, you know, I think and we always have this conversation, too. At some point, maybe we don't need to have this list. But, you know, I think I think it's amazing that we are seeing, you know, the Jane Frazier's and the Tashunda Brown Duckets of the world at, at these major firms. A lot of the asset managers have women at the helm, you know, of course, Abby Johnson at Fidelity, Jenny Johnson at Templeton. Um, and, and so like, there, there is obviously progress. So we have a record number of women in the C-suites. So that's on its face, very encouraging and great. We should celebrate that. Women hold 8% of CEO jobs in the S&P 500. 26% of C-suite jobs. But I think that we are also seeing a stalling out and in some places a deceleration in the progress. Um, you know, Hydrogen Struggles, for example, had noted that only 40% of board seats went to women last year, and that's down from 45% in 2021. And I think more, um, more troubling is that we're sort of seeing a hollowing out of the middle. Um, we kind of saw this, you know, across the board during the pandemic where a lot of women had to um, drop out of the labor force or potentially, you know, take a cut in terms of the hours that they were working or not take on that promotion because of sort of the caregiving and other responsibilities that came to the fore during the pandemic. Um, so as, as much as there's progress we want to celebrate, I think it's important to note that we haven't seen significant movement in, in many of the stats that we would like to see to get towards some sort of gender parity, which we are still very far from. Yeah, that interested me, that whole pipeline issue that you brought up, that there seems to be more progress in the top echelons rather than in the middle. So, and I know that Morningstar has had put this statistic out year after year, 13% of portfolio managers are women, and it remains static, if not yeah. going the wrong way. So what do you attribute this to? I mean, why do we have, maybe it is it because you have these uber achievers and then the rest? What, what do I, you think, Rashma? I mean, I think especially in money management and certain pockets of finance, we're really not seeing much progress. And I think, you know, I think that everyone has rolled out their DEI um, sort of strategies. They all talk about it. I'm sure there are good intentions behind it, but it has to really have purpose and, you know, performance and all these like statistics to hold people accountable. And I don't know if that's there yet. I sort of feel like um, we saw the most progress at the board level because it's an easy check mark, right? You see the number, okay, mm -hmm. well, we did this, it's done. We we met our quota or we met our, our DEI goal. And I think that we're not really seeing that. And I think it's also like, who you recruit from and and you know i don't know i didn't know anything about money management when i was going through you know college even in business school that was not one of the things that people brought to the fore it wasn't one of the jobs that you were sort of you know thought about and i think a little bit of it is that and and in terms of just bring, building the pipeline but it's more than just building the pipeline i think that we're doing a better job of sort of bringing in entry-level women we're not doing as great of a job of keeping them there. And, the, and that gets back to this idea of the hollowing out in the middle. Um, and whether that means, you know, retention, um, you know, providing flexibility, thinking about caregiving um, responsibilities, thinking about how you compensate people, 
you know, in the world of work from home, we've all gotten flexibility, which is great. But now as people go back to the office, are the people who are still at home getting penalized in some way, you know, not getting an opportunity, not think, being thought about in the same way for a promotion. I mean, those things I think we're still going to figure out in five years when we look and see where we are. But um, I mean, I think it's very frustrating. I mean, you've been you've, you've been in this industry for a long time. I've been writing about this for 20 plus years, so many different efforts at so many different firms. And yet the numbers are really abysmal, especially when you think about the money manager situation and, the you know, especially the lead portfolio manager at, yeah. at some of these asset managers. Yeah, I know. I um, You may know Barbara Krumsek, who headed up Calvert for many years, and mm-hmm. she had an interesting way of looking at this. She called it the messy middle. Mm -hmm. that women would get to a certain point in their career and either stall or decide to leave for various reasons. And there was a big attrition, which I guess all comes back to that whole pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Empties out at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I I think the pandemic really shed a light on this you know, behind the scenes struggle that a lot of people do when they get to the midpoint of their careers, you know, either with children or older parents that they're caring for or, or whatever the situation may be. And it and for a long period of time, you had to hide all of that, right? Like you had to do your job and pretend that didn't exist. And I think the pandemic brought to the fore, you know, I don't remember, do you remember the like the remote video of some guy whose little toddler came oh, into the yes, picture? Oh, yes, that was hilarious. And it was all funny because it was a man. But I, I would joke, like, if it was a woman, like, would we have had the same reaction? <laughs> of course, that was pre-pandemic. Now we've all, like, dealt with that. But um, I think, like, we just, we now have to make sure that we, we acknowledge that that's happening and then build supports around it. Um, and you know, it's not undoable. Like there, you can definitely do it. And I think we're seeing steps, you know, at, at asset managers like Gene Hines, for example, at Wellington has put in a whole bunch of pro- programs to develop talent um, and not just entry level talent, but once you're in the door, like once you're mid-level, mid-career, you know, how to help those folks. And I think maybe the industry needs to sort of target women who are thinking of making transitions from one industry to another or having spent some time part-time or consulting and how to bring them back at a senior level so that they're not missing out on, you know, all of all of those legs on the on the ladder kind of thing. So let's talk a little bit about mentoring. You brought that up. Okay. So we have these women in these top positions, and a number of them do talk about mentoring. How does this really play out, though? You know what? In the old days, years ago, there was this myth, maybe it was a reality, that women didn't help other women. I think that that's changed. But how is this mentoring? Is it really, do you think it's really happening? I mean, I think it is. I think that... um... So I'll say a couple of things. So I think like the new word is sponsoring instead of mentoring, right? So you're advocating for someone regardless of what's going on in their jobs. It's not just a, I meet you for coffee once in a while. I tell you about, about my career. It's really like an advocate over and over again. And, and to do that and to provide feedback to help that person grow, you really need to build relationships. That takes time, right? Yes. As we all know, we're all sort of under the gun and under pressure. So I think... Um, I think part, it is definitely happening. I think that there is, you know, a recognition that the old mentoring programs are not going to cut it. We need to do more. And I think many of these women who we've profiled in, in, 
um, barons are doing these things at their firms. You know, they're widening the lens. I know Sarah Malik and, you know, uh, Cheryl Mickle at um, T. Rowe Price, for example, are just, you know, helping people think more widely about where people should be recruited from, what backgrounds. Um, and then once you're at the door, really working on, on um, retaining and, and developing talent. But I think that it can't just be women. You know, I think that the part of the problem is that you're asking the few women in those spots to do all that work when really we need everyone on board. And so like, I think where it works best is when top leadership, both genders um, are on, you know, this is a, a C-suite level priority. There's performance metrics att attached to it, just like every other metric. And Melody Hobson talks about this, like you have to measure it just like any other, you know, um, major business priority. And I think we are beginning to see that in some some regard. So I think that there is progress, but I really think like this entire idea of sponsorship and allyship are really important. And it can't just be women who are doing it. Because um, often what you find, and I'm sure you've seen this, is you go to the DEI committee of whatever firm and it's the women and people of color on it. Well, they're, you know, like it should actually be everyone on it. It mm -hmm. shouldn't just be that niche audience who's trying to, you know, make sure that they have a couple more people like them. Um, in the organization. And so I think recognition of some of that other like micro stuff is is also important. Um, but you know, I, I think that people are teaching classes, people are going to business schools, you have done great work on this front. I mean, I think just getting the idea of money and talking about money to younger girls earlier on is very important. We're trying to do that at Barron's with Level Up, just trying to talk about all things related to money, not just investing um, for women at different stages in their life. And I think that that's really important. You know, like you don't have to be a savvy stock picker to mm -hmm. to really, you know, there are many different elements of, of money there. And so I think a little bit of that is familiar, familiarity with money and familiarity with these careers also helps. And I think a lot of these women are trying to do it in different ways. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. First of all, I, I thank you for clarifying this mentor versus sponsor, because that is a really important point. Um, but also, the we've done some looking at numbers here, and uh, over 50% of women have told us, that we've seen the surveys, uh, that they're intimidated by investing, yes. that they're afraid to get started. Right. So the, the discussion about money is really important, so they can start feeling more comfortable. Right. I mean, I think that that's partially, to be honest, I, you know, I did a story at uh, Smart Money, we were talking about this before we got on, you know, I don't know, almost 15 years ago about how the industry itself has kind of made that intimidation happen, right? It's a male dominated industry talking about money, often in male jargon, right? Like it's very like sports and games and mm -hmm. metaphors and things like that. And, and men invest differently than women. There's like more risk taking on one, one element, women often need to want to spend more time and be more comfortable before they make a decision. That's not how the advisor industry is set up, you know? So there are a lot of obstacles to this. So I think like, and I think Ella Vest and Sally Krawcheck, for example, have been thinking about this, have created a firm that's, you know, addresses some of these issues that are in the broader industry. But um, I think you're very right. So many people who are so successful in their jobs still do not want to talk about money or investing or and, and delegate those responsibilities to someone else. And I, you don't have to be like super savvy. You just need to know the, the basics, you know, and, and have some control over that very large aspect of our lives. Yes, and, and, and you noted 
that um, some of these women on those making concerted effort to bring more women into the business so that they can carry this message to other women is so important. So um, this list in 2023, was there, what impressed you most about these influencers? Was there a thread running through here that, that came out? I mean, I think what I don't know. I when I started looking through the list and the you know their backgrounds, what really stood out was the diversity of the you know path to the top, um, more so than I thought, and and also diversity of backgrounds. You know, like we had um, we have people like Melody Hobson at Ariel and Cheryl Nickel at Tiro who've worked their entire careers at one firm and yet have risen to the top. Melody, of course has gone on to board membership as the chair of Starbucks and done a whole bunch of other things as well. But I, I mean, I, you can, you don't have to, because I think in your head, you have this idea that you have to jump ship to keep climbing yeah. the ladder and they've proven that you don't have to. Others, you know, um, like Candace Browning, who's sort of the research maven of Bank of America, she was a history major, you know, she wasn't a finance person, but history helps you connect the dots and tell the narrative of all of these different data points and, and um, you know, investment strategies and, and all that. Um, we had Sarah Levy, who's at the CEO of Betterment. She helped grow SpongeBob and South Park into huge franchises at Viacom. Not really your traditional way into an RIA. You know, um, I, I think that that diversity is really what stood out. Um, and also, we're seeing more people in power in roles that were not traditionally thought of as in power. For example, Lori Beers is the chief Inf information officer at JP Morgan and in that inner circle because, hey, you know what? Technology is really important these days. Um, the head of the New York Stock Exchange, Lynn Martin, also has a tech background. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting to see people really come from different areas. It wasn't like they graduated, they you know worked at a bank, and then they, you know, some some women, of course, did, but that was not always. That's not the only path to the top. And we also had a whole bunch of female founders, um, which I always love to see as well. So yeah, I, yeah, I was going to ask you that about the founders. There were, I think, you said ten percent of the list founders. Yeah. So do you, obviously they're all risk takers. They found their own firm. But do you think that there was some element that they were stammied in their career and thought that this was a, a way to become CEO, because become well, the boss? I, I mean, I'm sure that there were, and I don't know that for a fact for all of these women. I mean, I think for some, like, you know, I know Sally, for example, has talked often about her issues with the industry after having gone very high up, you know, as the CFO of City um, and, and deciding are being pushed out and, and kind of coming back and thinking there's there's things wrong with the industry and I want to figure out a way to fix them and, and do it my way. And so that's obviously what she's doing at L of this. Um, you know, some of these folks had built very strong records elsewhere, like at Anderson Horowitz, um, Katie Hahn, who's a crypto venture capitalist. Um, you know, she kind of built her firm based off that record. Of course, she had a prior career as um, a DOJ uh, person in the Department of Justice doing white collar crime. So that's also yet another interesting pathway to the top. Um, you know, Sally, uh, Sarah Ketterer at Causeway. I mean, I think a lot of people, um, I think that there's a little bit of entrepreneurial and risk taking and some people just want to run their own firm. But I am sure that there is a little bit of that. You know, it's it's not working here, but I can probably do this on my own and do it, and do so it myself. Yeah. yeah. And these women are so I mean, Dana Telsey was, a, you know, the retail analyst you always went to and you needed to talk to you for a retail story. And she has built her entire firm. It's branched out into like consumer research, banking, consulting, asset management. 
Um, so she's, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how these people's careers have evolved. Yeah, that is, we've noticed that with our pink wall events, they don't usually go in a straight line. No. So Rasha, I have a final question here until, well, until we get to our second part. Um, so you mentioned this. How long do you think it's going to be that we're going to be doing a gender specific list of influential women in finance? And we're just going to get rid of that. What is your guesstimate here? I mean, I would I would love to say it's like another five years down the road, but I don't know. I mean, I think um, I, I you know, if you look at the gender parity numbers, they're not even in my children's generation in terms of the pay gap. So I, I really do hope that we may start building on this momentum that we've seen. Um, you know, but if you had to ask me 20 years ago, I thought we would have already been there. So, um, I, you know, and I think that there's, you know, it's, it's just, it's highlighting new people. We, we do often get some, some comments about like, why are we doing a top 100 women? You know, why do we need this? Um, but you know, it's, it's surfacing new names who are doing amazing things. You know, we're not just putting out names out there. They're all very important to the readers of Barron's, um, you know, whether they're sort of Lyle Brainerd and, you know, implementing the economic agenda or, you know, um, bankers doing great M&A, you know, I think that we're, we're writing about them because they're, they're very pertinent to our readers. It's the role model issue. You know, one of our mantras at WISE is she can be what she can see. Right. So you're doing your bit to show that women that, you know, hey, there's a lot of very talented women here who have made it to the top. So don't think that it's not a possibility. Yeah, I think that that's so important. And I think it's also important to show how they've gotten there and and sort of the shoots and ladders of this game to some extent, right? You know, and 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 the ins and outs. And, and, you know, sometimes I'd like to, especially on the level up conversations that we have to really talk about sort of the ups and downs, because I think um, if you just paint too rosy of a picture, it's discouraging for those who are yeah. still trying to fight to get to the top and run into problems. I mean, this is not an easy, an easy path. Yeah, we see that when we have these discussions, that there's a lot of humor going on and setbacks and, and all of this. Most most people have them, not everybody, but I think most. Yeah. So now let's turn the table on you here, Rashma. You know, at the end of all of our Pink Wall events, we talk to about their own careers. And as I've said, you've had a really fascinating one. You know, you are now as an associate editor of Barron's, you have access to the great investors of the world, the great business people of the world. So take us back to your days in university. So I um, I wanted to be a journalist from a very early age. I did not plan on being a business journalist. That sort of happened, what happened um, you know, accidentally. I um, went to Medill at Northwestern and I was sort of on the police beat for the first, you know, first parts of my um, experience. And then I graduated early and got a, um, a job at Bloomberg, which was still in its infancy in the mid 90s. And within like a month, I was you know, talking to CEOs and doing these crazy stories. I didn't quite even know what I was, you know, still feeling my my way around. And then um, uh, from there, I went to what was then Knight Ritter Financial, which became Bridge News, but it was another wire service. And I covered the foreign exchange markets, which was really sort of, you know, being thrown into the deep end <laughs> of, you know, going into the pits um, in Chicago, the options and futures markets, and then coming to New York and talking to these currency traders, which really kind of got me into the macroeconomic world of thinking. It's kind of where I've always sort of um, enjoyed reporting on. But from there, I went to Reuters for about a decade and I covered all kinds of things. I covered the entire dot-com boom and bust um, and I covered markets for a while. And then from there, I went to um, Smart Money. So from wire service to monthly magazine, um, where I think we met. And yes. um, 
you know, I, um, in between there, I did the Knight Badgett Fellowship at Columbia, which was really wonderful because it, it gave you a second to step back and really dive deep into a lot of the things I had been covering um, and getting to have, you know, I got to have uh, lunch with Warren Buffett and Paul Volcker and all of these fantastic people. And um, that was really sort of helped me kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I think it like pushed me forward and to keep going into the business journalism arena. And so from there, I went to Smart Money, where I covered much more personal finance related stuff than I had done before, did a lot of retirement oriented coverage. Um, I, you know, my favorite story was during the global financial crisis, I went and found some of the investors who had been investing during the depression. Um, so I found four men who were pushing 100 um, and including Irving Khan, who's, you know, famous. And, um, you know, that, I, that was just a delightful story. I really loved doing that. And then from there, I went, I came to Barron's in 2012. And so I've, you know, did emerging markets, which is sort of something I've always come back to, I really love. And these days I, I cover China, but I, I often do some of these bigger picture thematic stories and, and then try to connect the macro and micro. And so that's sort of been my evolution. It wasn't, I was not planning on being a business writer at all, but the more I got into it, you kind of get, you know, get further and further down that, that um, rabbit hole. <laughs> well, that Knight Badger program is just legendary for churning out some of the best and the brightest of the business journalists. So that's a great experience that you had there. So let's talk just for a minute about mentors in your career. Um, I've been thinking about that myself. And of course, there weren't all that many women around as coming up, but I had some really fabulous mentors and sponsors. I think they really more fall in the category of sponsors. How about you, Rashma? Who was yeah. an influence? Yeah, you know, I um my very first editor, well, I had two um both male editors. One was my very first newspaper job at the Ann Arbor News. Um, and he was fantastic. I mean, he was like the kind of person in every like every couple of years, he'd like write me and be like, I saw this and you know, like you should you should do this, you should look into this, this place. Would you want to come back and work here? I mean, he was sort of one of those people who like took a very young new uh reporter and really like took me under the wings and, and helped me like understand the newspaper business and the daily, you know, police beat and all of these things. Um, and then one of my first editors at Bloomberg was Joe Winsky, who was also very kind and very um, sort of, he had come from the Wall Street Journal and he was just really hands-on and willing to spend time to sort of shape a very young reporter. And then I would say that, um, you know, I've had a, um, a, a, a an editor at Smart Money and then at Barron's who's now left, but she was an amazing sponsor and really sort of advocated for me um, along the way kind of pushed me to do things that I didn't always want to do, you know, which I think is one of the, the themes that we keep hearing from these women is to take risks and put yourself out there, um, even to do things that you don't think you're ready to do or that you want to do just to kind of get that experience. And so um, I think she she was very helpful. How about you? Oh, well, I had some uh, men really that have helped me that never worked for a woman and there weren't too many women to uh, to model after. But I had the CEO at Drexel who included me in, uh, in so many meetings that I wouldn't have expected to be included in. I had another boss who uh, kept promoting me and giving me more responsibility. So I, I really attribute them to um, a lack of intimidation by anyone, you know, when you can be around these alpha men yes. who are so really so intimidating and 
get along and not be intimidated, you're a set here. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that inclusion aspect of it is great. Just having you at the table, right? Or like sending the conversation back to you. I mean, those are some of those things that like sponsors, I think, do. And, and I think like what's hard, you know, what I hear from younger women is, well, how do I find one of these people? You know, like, how do I get And It's hard because you have to build that relationship. And they, especially in the age of virtual for the women who've started working in the last couple of years, it, it is quite hard, I think, to do that. And um, you don't always find that person. And and like you said, often, you know, they might, it, they're often men. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a woman who has to be your sponsor. No, it doesn't no means. have to at all. And uh, yes, I remember one of my bosses there every morning, he would come into my office and say hello and chit chat for a few minutes and get up and leave. But yeah. it was very uh, encouraging. Yeah. And, you know, you knew you were accepted. Right. So so this whole area of mentor sponsorship, you mentioned something interesting because really it's hard to seek it out. It has to happen naturally in a lot of ways. You know, that as you said, you build a relationship, somehow you get along, and that's how it all happens. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I I, I was going to tell you one thing that um, Chanel Jackson, who's at Vanguard, told me um, because I was asking her, well, how did you know it was a good fit or how, you know, what would be your advice to others? And she said, like, look for companies that are committed to fostering psychological safety or you'll find yourself exhausted from pretending to be someone else. You know, so if you look around and you don't see anyone who's passionate about your development, um, you're probably in the wrong place. You know, like seek out places where when you go in, it's not just a you know, perfunctory. Yes, we have a mentorship program. We have this, you know, but you sort of, it's a fit, you know, right? When you're like shopping for college or shopping for anything else, you want sort of a fit for yourself when you're looking for a job too. Well, that was going to be my last question, a bit of advice, but that is perfect advice. (laughs) You know, make sure the fit is right where you are. And if it isn't, you know, you have to leave. Yeah. yeah. Don't hang around. I think well, Rashma, this has been such a fascinating discussion. Your own career has been fascinating. This list is fascinating how it all comes together and hearing about these different women and what they're doing. Um, So would you just tell our listeners just a bit about this Level Up podcast series from Barron's that you participate in? Because it is free and fascinating topics. Sure. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. So this is the second season of Level Up. It's a monthly event series. It is free. um, And we are trying to highlight senior women in top positions, many of the women on the list, to talk about all things money. So we've, you know, we've had people talking about someone from AARP talking about caregiving. We've had Lizanne Saunders from Schwab talking about the market. Um, we had Melody Hobson talking about leadership and, and her entire career. So you can sign up, you'll get sort of the next months, you know, um, and if, you, if you're not able to watch it, it's usually on Fridays, um, you can get a video link of it mm-hmm. once you've registered. And then we're building that, building this out so that, you know, we often have a podcast um, and we, can, we often tell you about it that sort of builds on the conversation that we just had. So, you know, we have one coming up May 12th. It's, I'm going to be interviewing a woman named Cozy Whitman who's sort of a college Sherpa. So this is a much more personal finance oriented conversation. Um, And then in June, we have a conversation with um, a woman at Blackstone who's been investing in female founders and, and another female founder to talk about entrepreneurship. Well, these are just the topics that our members and our extended family are interested in. So I hope that they will um, sign up. And we have Wise has uh, uh, promoted some of your past uh, level up because we think that they're terrific. So Rashma, thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it.